0: Welcome to the Husband Material podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Hey man, today's interview with Sam Black was all about porn in the church. What exactly is going on? Why is it so hard for churches to offer hope and healing to people And how can we take steps to make our communities more safe? How can we bravely embrace the opportunity here for all of us to heal and grow? Enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to Husband Material. Today, I am hanging out with Sam Black, Director of Recovery Education at Covenant Eyes and author of this great book, The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It. Welcome, Sam.
1: Hey, Drew. What It's such an honor to be here with you. I'm just looking forward to our conversation together.
0: Yeah, same here. As we start talking about the problem of porn in the church, could you share some of the statistics that you've gathered? Like, how many Christians are struggling with this? What are the stats?
1: Right. We know about two-thirds of men in the church, so they have an ongoing struggle. But what does that look like? About 37% of men in the church say they're watching pornography multiple times a week, of all ages. About 36% of men, 18 to 30, say they're watching daily. So that is, that is impactful on your local church. And When we really dive in a little deeper, it's very easy to think about that adult that suddenly they're confronted by temptation, right? And they're carried away. And, but we're missing how this has been often a, a long struggle. That began in childhood. We know that the average age for kids to be exposed to pornography is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 12, depending on which survey or study you're looking at, and that teenagers are among the most prolific users. So when we look at the the greater church, every ministry within the local church is being undermined by pornography, whether we're talking about children's ministries or teen ministries or adult ministries or marriage ministries, even senior ministries, right? Right. the number of events that I've been to, men's ministry events, and had men in their 70s and 80s coming to me and saying, I've never told anybody this. This has been my lifelong struggle and I don't know how to get out. And even in my, you know, I, I remember a man coming to me and just sort of ash and gray, and he's just a because he was just so downcast and he came to our table and he's talking about, hey, I'm in my 70s. My wife has just discovered my long battle with pornography. And I don't know if she's going to be there when I get home. Right? I feel like I've embarrassed my, my kids and my family and uh, my grandchildren. And, you know, it just kind of blossomed from there. Every, all the fears were like permeating every part of him. And with some pointed direction, how to get some support how to find a safe place and a safe process to begin entering toward healing and life change. I remember coming back about six months later to a different location in the same state. And he comes up to my table and he's aglow. <laughs> and he's gotten to experience the beginnings of that journey, right? And he's learned to get some sobriety and freedom in his life. And he's so excited about it. He says, Sam, I want you to know that not only is the, what you offered was so helpful that I brought 11 guys with me here today, (laughs) you know, let's go, right? So that's, that's what this journey is all about. Having had that spiritual awakening, we can't help but give away what we've received. And so though the the statistics are gloomy, there is hope. And what I found in writing the healing church, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it is when we press in, When we don't get overwhelmed by the stats and the worries and everything else that how we can possibly address this in our local congregation, those churches that press in find this amazing opportunity for deep discipleship. Mm -hmm. And, And those people are going on fire for their local congregation. They're excited. They are flipping the stats in that local church.
0: Yeah. When we talk about what a big problem this is, it can become discouraging, however when I consider some of these stats, I see an incredible opportunity.
1: Yeah, we really must not be overwhelmed. We we There is so much healing yeah. that God has in store for us.
0: Amen. And it's on the other side of just a few simple things that we can do to make our churches more receptive, more supportive, and more protective. So if we know that pornography is such a widespread problem in the church and we have this amazing opportunity to do ministry and have healing unleashed. Why do so few churches address this issue?
1: Only about 7% of churches are doing anything at all. Right? I think again, we underestimate how much impact pornography is having on our, all, of our, all of the ministries within our local church. And what I found in Christian studies and secular studies was there's a direct correlation between pornography use and prayer life, scripture reading, church attendance, which equates to giving within the church and supporting your local church, serving in your local church. There was a direct correlation between pornography use and how close I felt to God. The University of Oklahoma did a study and found that there was a direct correlation between how much pornography was being used, and whether someone would serve in the church on a committee or in volunteer role over the next six years. Now, keep in mind that I also found that I was, as I was writing the Healing Church and doing these interviews, I came across many, many stories of people who were who wanted to follow Christ, who weren't finding a safe place and a safe process in their church to find healing. And so they were flipping between perfectionism and shame, and they would act out in shame and feel though, you know, that as Jim Crust loves to say, self hatred at my expense, and that shame could be so debilitating for their faith. And oh, I'm never going to live up to this. God's, I promised you, I promised others, I promised myself, I'd never go back here, and yet I'm here again. And after wallowing in that shame for a while, then they'll flip the switch and say. They'll flip the coin, I should say, and we're going to, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better and I'm going to do all these things. And here's my scripture reading plan and my prayer plan and how I'm going to serve my church, how I'm going to serve my wife and how I'm going to serve my kids and my family and my community. But that perfectionism can only last for so long and they flip right back into acting out in shame. And that becomes a revolving thing. So we can do better than allowing Satan to use this tool to pull people away from the faith or allowing them to become less effective in this cycle of acting out and perfectionism that eventually leads to a lot of other issues, right? We can do better than that. And this isn't like reinventing the wheel. (laughs) We We don't have to come in and go, I don't really know what we do. I guess we'll just start from square one and we'll begin trying to do something. No, this has been done very well in numerous churches. And what I found in 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 visiting those churches was those churches that were doing this work well, pastors were saying, listen, Sam, you gotta you gotta understand this. I don't do more work less now. I do less. Because when we created safe environments for people to address the wounds and their issues in their life, with address the strongholds in their life, that deep discipleship, that life change, that heart change, that mind, body, spirit, Change allowed them to not to really find wholeness in Christ. And they can't help but want to give that wholeness away. They're more uh perceptive, they're more honest, they're more vulnerable, they're more passionate, they're more caring for others, they're willing, they're willing to practice James 5:16 with others, they're ready to go. And so those pastors are saying, Hey, those people are saying hey, I'll volunteer for that pastor. Oh, you need someone to disciple that person. I, I'll, I'll walk with them on that. You know, they've got the volunteers to do the work in the church that they want to do.
0: I want to pause there. That seems to address one of the biggest lies that I have believed, and that I know so many other ministry leaders have believed. The lie that if I open the Pandora's box of talking about porn and addressing porn, then it is going to give me way more brokenness and problems than I can handle. And our staff is already stretched too thin and we're already just trying to survive. So if we open up that can of worms, then it'll just make things worse. It'll be overwhelming. Whereas what you're saying is that when you do this, you will mobilize an army of healers.
1: Right. And more importantly, I'm not the one saying it. It's the pastors and ministry leaders in those churches that are saying it, right? And so that's what uh, was so exciting as I was writing the book is that, wow, look at the opportunity at hand. Having explored this, we don't feel defeated. We look at at this effort as the exciting next step this is what can be
0: for those of us who have a passion to help others get free from porn and start something at our churches or bring some of that hope and inspiration to our local communities mm-hmm. how can we share this message in a way that the leaders will actually hear it
1: with empathy we can't reach every ministry leader every congregational member is not going to accept anything less than if someone's struggling with pornography, they're just not in the faith. Right? Wow, that's harsh. But I believe that most ministry leaders, and indeed most people in the church have wisened to this more, understand that this is such a broad issue that we ignoring it isn't working, and that we need to have empathy for others. And I think that's where we also need to begin in carrying this message into the church. We need to understand that many pastors and ministry leaders can understand why anybody would go look for pornography. In in my current recovery state now, I can empathize with that because running to porn seems like the worst solution to any problem in your life. Once upon a time, that wasn't true. It felt like the perfect solution. So we need to understand where they're coming from, that why would anybody run toward that thing? And so that's our opportunity, because at least they're asking the question, now, how can we empathetically say this is how people get stuck, why they often stay stuck, and how the church can provide real hope and healing? to that local people in your congregation, and that we often are distracted by what we see as exceptionalism. Exceptionalism from our denomination or exceptionalism because of our theology or exceptionalism because of our little local church and we think we know everybody and everything they may or may not struggle with. What I found over 16 years at Covenant Eyes is there's no such thing as the exceptionalism of the church.
0: So exceptionalism means... Well, that's a problem for everybody else, but I'm the exception or my church is the exception.
1: That's right. We don't have to struggle with this because we love Christ in our church. We don't have this issue in our church because we have the power of the Holy Spirit or because we are more in tune to the Holy Spirit, that we're we're a close-knit community, right? But where there is absence in discussion and conversation and training from childhood, Then we miss the opportunities when we're not equipping and training our parents to help children understand that pornography is coming after them, not if, but when, and how that can have an impact on their heart, mind, body, and spirit, right? How that, how our teenagers, well, we don't want to discuss that with our kids because they get, it gets weird and we get embarrassed. And then the whole conversation comes to a stop because we've never practiced this or learned how to do this well. We can do all these things within the local church body to help equip parents to prepare their kids. We can also, uh, as we are helping men and women escape from this and other issues and struggles in their life, to learn greater wholeness in Christ, to be able to not have to anesthetize their emotions or regulate their moods with pornography or food or drugs or alcohol or anger or rage or any number of things. How can we press into those kinds of things? Because yes, indeed, it takes longer than 20 minutes on a Sunday morning to address these issues. But when we begin doing it, the benefits are so amazing. Can I pause this for just for a minute? Because I I do have this pressing question that I think uh, you are uniquely qualified to, to answer. Because you hear a lot of guys' stories, and I wanted to know what men are saying when they're coming into husband material and they're saying they're seeking help outside their church. So tell me what they're saying about their local church and why they haven't sought help within the church itself or have they?
0: For many of them, they don't feel safe to share in their church, partially because no one else is being vulnerable. No one else is opening up. One of the main reasons I hear guys feel really different at husband material is because I go first in sharing my story in uncomfortable details in radical honesty and processing the mess that I'm in even right now. Mm-hmm. Nate Larkin is someone else who shares very vulnerably about not just what he has struggled with in the past, but what he's dealing with right now. And many men have never felt safe to share the specifics of their sexual attractions or fantasies. And husband material is a place where they can do that. I would say there are levels of vulnerability. So there's one level of saying, I have a a struggle sexually. There's another level of saying, my struggle is with pornography. There's another level of saying the specific type of pornography Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with here. And what I found is when guys feel like they can go deeper than they've ever gone before and say things they've never told anyone, then it does feel safe. It's important to take baby steps. And maybe instead of calling it a safe space, I like to call Husband Material a brave space because we're being brave together. And sometimes it doesn't always go the way we want. Sometimes people get hurt. And we
1: learn from that. Wow, that's good.
0: What's good about that for you? What what sounds good?
1: I think it's good that we can say, you know, a pastor James Reeves said to me, He said, We're human and we're gonna make mistakes, we're gonna hurt one another. And if you reach out to someone else, is there a possibility they might hurt you? Absolutely, but that's gonna be on them, <laughs> right? And your job is to come. Forward and, and create help create the safety by being vulnerable, but also seeking out people who who act vulnerable as well. Now, at the same time, we need to teach that vulnerability as a culture yes. in our churches, and that's one of the things that that really excited me as I was writing the book is visiting churches who were practicing saying, "Hey, we are we're all human here," and. Yes, there are are some risks with being vulnerable, but the benefits far outweigh the risks. Right. And that we are committed as a church body to create places of safety, whether that's in a smaller group, a dedicated group, but it takes a lot of effort and culture to create that. And churches who are intentional about their culture have been able to accomplish that kind of safety on a broad scale from churches that are small, with 100, 200, 300 people attending to tens of thousands attending, right? So uh, we often like to think that, well, I can't create that kind of safety in my large church or my small church because we've got all these parameters around us that say, oh, well, see, they got all those resources that we don't have in our small church. And the, the big church looks at him and goes, oh, we're just so huge. How do we create that kind of safety? And what's been so amazing is to see both kinds of churches really institute that well. The amount of effort and, well, attention over time to create a culture where that was possible. I often heard men and women over my years at, at Covenant I say, you know, I really did need to go outside my church for help, which I thought was very sad, that my church didn't help me very much. And that's probably among the biggest reasons that I wrote The Healing Church, was both parents and adults who were saying, the church is where I really should be finding this help, but I'm going elsewhere. And so The Healing Church is is intended to be a primer, to to really help ministry leaders begin addressing this issue well.
0: Sam, we're talking about how to create a safe place, which is one thing for church attenders, what about for leaders? What about for pastors? How do you create a safe place where they cannot be kicked out but restored?
1: You know this is a is a tough question because we have a habit of shooting our wounded, and that's not very effective and I think it comes down to we miss how people get stuck in the first place, how that early exposure, the ongoing use and repetition in childhood or teen years how there's often some trauma or pain. And those three coalesce to really trap someone into their pornography use or this uh, escape route that is thought of when they become overwhelmed and angry or fearful or frustrated or their anxiety is through the roof. And let's face it, pastors, missionaries, ministry leaders are often under great amount of stress, financial stress, all these expectations from people. The time and commitment that they're called at all strange hours of the day and night, that they have marriages too, and kids, and all these other things that cause us stress who are not in ministry. And I mean, come on. For missionaries, they're often in a different country, different culture, different uh, language. They're far from support systems. Uh, when pastors and ministry leaders move to a different church or in a different state, they run into all these kinds of issues and struggles, right? And when we haven't really tended to our wounds and our hurts and our pains in our life, we really haven't underdressed why pornography has a, is seductive to us in the first place. Now, I get it. We can say, oh, well, we're just, we lust, we have sexual desire. But, you know, I have found that sexual desire isn't really the main reason people get stuck in pornography. They are often just trying to run, hide, escape, whatever fleeting moments for that escapism, to deal with whatever their um, triggers that have come their way, they're they're coping with pornography. In the recovery process, I it just became fascinating to me to go to simply out of curiosity ask, man, I'm I am really been I'm struggling right now. Why? Why am I struggling? to ask such a simple question, right? And you go, oh, well, you're just struggling with lust. It wasn't. I would go, oh wait, Uh, that conversation that I had with that other person was really tense. I've got some anxiety over that or I felt some lack of self-worth after that or I I felt like some anger toward that. Once I named that emotion, I could reach out to my ally, I could reach out to a friend or I could simply just in identifying itself, took all the energy out of that desire, out of the struggle. And I could surrender that to Christ. And that's what we're often missing.
0: It's not like recovery from porn is separate from our spiritual development and our life with God. The two are intimately intertwined. Mm. And What a gift it would be if our churches were places where we could bring those two worlds together. Indeed. Sam, you talk about how the church is God's plan A. How do other organizations like Husband Material or Covenant Eyes fit in?
1: We are part of the church. <laughs> right? We are part of the church. I mean, there's no getting around that. But we're also providing tools and support that maybe the local church especially not only can mimic, but maybe we can provide a concentrated effort on as well. right? Some specialized help. The local church can provide. Hey, it is okay for you to see a counselor and begin having a good conversation. It's great that you can come in a group or go to a retreat with husband material. That uh, our church cannot develop accountability software for phones, tablets, and computers, etc., and help you connect with an ally, and they receive a feed. That just a reminder that helps you think: How am I using my device? I've committed this device that I'm going to use it in a specific way in my recovery. And I'm going to talk about why I'm using my device. They can't necessarily do all that. But man, they can create the foundational principles where, hey, it is okay to ask for help. And in between uh, your viewing uh, or that you you talk to your ally, well, now you can come to your study at or group at your local church. Man, I just had this great retreat of husband material. And now I get to give all the more back to the men in my church because of what I've discovered. And maybe as a pastor just now getting started with the idea behind this, well, who can I turn to? How can I get some help? How What could I do for? No, I don't have uh, anything set in place, but can I take a small step? And the answer is yes, you can. There's a great resource from Covenant Eyes called Victory by Covenant Eyes. It provides more than 20-something courses, heading toward 30 courses right now, uh, aimed at helping men and women understand, how did I get here? Why do I seem to stay stuck? And how can I take my first steps toward freedom? And it's free. Or maybe they're saying, listen, I know this group called Help Material or Samson Society or Pure Desire or Be Broken. And these ministries can help you. and, And I'll walk along with you in the material. Or this is where you can get into a group the local church can provide supporting resources to help people take that journey. Now, that initial investment, I believe, will be worth it because when that person, that one person, goes through a life change and real process and not just window dressing, then they come out truly discipled. They come out on the other side. Now you have a new volunteer, a new champion in your church that you just didn't try to flip a switch for. But did you create a meaningful process that now they want to give back? I talk about process a lot. And you're like, hey, Sam, don't you believe in the power of God? Absolutely. Uh, I believe God instantly heals people from their addictions and struggles all the time. I've just found that more often, almost continuously, He asks people, especially in this, this realm of, of sexuality, to go on a journey with childlike faith, that instead of depending on yourself or how much you can do, now you have to lean into the body of Christ. You have to lean into other brothers in Christ. You have to surrender to a journey of that childlike faith, where you give up the childishness, <laughs> but you grow in childlike faith. It's incredible. You've seen it over and over.
0: Yeah. It's amazing. And as you say, it's usually not quick or easy because God is interested in so much more. Mm. He wants our heart, mind, body, and soul, not just surface level behavior change. And what I found is that the guys who tend to be most passionate about sharing this Opportunity for healing with others are typically not the leaders up front, it's the strugglers. It's those who have been in the depths and have come back to find others who are in the same place.
1: And isn't that uh, helpful for pastors and ministry leaders? Because let's face it, I've spoken to many ministry leaders and pastors who've said, You know, I've been through this journey and I have found my restoration. Uh, but coming into my new church, or uh, it's hard for me to talk about because this congregation isn't ready for that kind of vulnerability from me yet. And so now you have a champion that you get to back because they've been through the, a, a good healing process, right?
0: Yeah, we have an opportunity to give a gift to our pastors and ministry leaders by being willing to tell our stories and be the champion, even if
1: they're not ready to be that person.
0: They can just give us permission or maybe incorporate it into their mission. Wouldn't that be great?
1: Can you find a champion in your church? Is that a champion that you can then begin helping your board and church board understand or your, your deacons or whatever, however your church is set up, helping them understand the impact of this through knowledge and understanding, but then taking that champion and supporting them, not just permissionally, but missionally toward real change in the church, to really addressing the issue of pornography in the church.
0: I love that. Maybe we'll have some future champions listening to this.
1: I know we have some future champions right now that are listening to this and champions right now who are listening to this. And you need to go to your pastor and your ministry leaders and say, listen, I want to raise my hand. I want to step forward i've I've had the spiritual awakening, and maybe I didn't feel I could do this before, but I can't be be silent any longer, and I want to help in my local church.
0: I love that so much, Sam, what is your favorite thing about freedom from porn?
1: That is such a great and broad question, though, right? Because early on, it was just the relief that i just i didn't look at porn this week or this month or hey this year look at this i've got this thing behind you know these things are behind me and years go by and it feels good this is much better i like this much better than the shame and the pain and and oh man i was feeling tempted today and if i go there what am i going to feel how is that going how is that going to impact my my relationship with christ my relationship with my wife my relationship with my family, my church, my community, myself, right? How How is that going to feel? And so the cost would just stop being of any value. Now, that was wonderful to get sobriety. But the greater depth of wholeness, of self-reflection, of why am I feeling what I'm feeling, why am I thinking what I'm thinking, and then I discovered, oh, well I've got this thing I need to think about and this thing I need to get victory over and this struggle I need to really be thinking about. And so the healing process is just keep keeps going. Part of that healing process has been forgiveness. Little by little I continually find things, oh, I need to let that go. I need to give that in forgiveness. So it all adds up to this greater wholeness. It just so happened that the journey away from pornography gave me these other opportunities.
0: I resonate with that what started as a journey out of pornography became a journey into wholeness and so much healing that I didn't know I needed.
1: Right? Yeah.
0: So thank you, God, for leading us on that journey. Thank you, Sam, for your book, for your voice and for your heart. Guys, if you want to get a copy of The Healing Church, go down to the link in the show notes or go to thehealingchurch.com.
1: And just before we forget, if you go to thehealingchurch.com, you can download the introduction and the first chapter. I'd love for you to have it.
0: Awesome. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes.
1: Then you can buy the book wherever you normally buy books online.
0: And always remember, you are God's beloved son. and you, he is well-pleased.